Hi there. It's me, Laura Wasser, the divorce attorney and the founder of It's Over Easy, the online divorce service. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces, shepherding people through what may be one of the most terrifying times in their lives. Along the way, I often have to remind people to lower their expectations. When dealing with matters of the heart, rules simply don't apply because all's fair in love and war. So welcome to the All's Fair podcast. Fasten your seatbelts and let's go. Hi, everyone. It's me, Laura Wasser. I'm Johnny Rains, and this is All's Fair. We started podcasting to answer people's questions about divorce and to change the way people think about breakups. Since then, I've learned that conversations around divorce naturally transition into conversations about all kinds of human nature, such as relationships, business, lifestyles, parenting, and so much more. Topics we'll discuss this season include dating, how to maintain a healthy relationship, and when to leave one, plus tips to make your next chapter better than the last. Whether it's here on All's Fair, or in our next chapter Life After Divorce video series, or on our social channels, we want to continue introducing you to people who have leveraged their past to enable them to evolve into the present smarter, wiser, and stronger. And speaking of strength, the Epic Times just came out with a four-step maintenance plan to help you keep your relationship going strong. So it was written by Gary Lewandowski Jr. And I mean, tell us about the four-step maintenance plan, Johnny. And again, this can be for going out with somebody right? or being married, yes? Yes, absolutely. And before we begin with the four-step plan, I just need to clarify from last season, is it Epic or Epoch. I know you couldn't help that. I saw I heard your little snicker. I don't know, and I don't care. Well, it's spelled E-P-O-C-H, and if you'd like to find the article, it was by Gary W. Landowski, Jr. And he points out in the article these four steps that you can use to kind of keep your relationship fresh. Number one, he says, use boredom as a pivot point. Number two, keep dating. By the way, he means keep dating the, your per, the person that you're with. <laughs> don't, don't sign up for a bumble. <laughs> no, no. Stay, make, make date nights is basically what he says. And when you're making a date night, he particularly recommends movie nights. In fact, over the course of a month, researchers asked some couples to watch and discuss a romantic comedy such as When Harry Met Sally, which is a popular film we always hear about in the interrogatories here. While others did an intense relationship workshop. Fast forward three years and the movie watchers were less likely to have broken up. Number four, finding the bright spots in your relationship. So, I mean, here's the thing. I, I mean, I, I read this article and I we've had so many people on and talking about how to keep things healthy and how they work. I would like to say that I read an article, and I'll get it to you, Johnny, that had to do with people that really did all this. Right. They tried everything. And, it, and they said, you know what? And we came out of it. We love each other. We understand. But we tried everything and we moved on. I do think it's important that you really do... That you are able to say, if you're going to call it quits, we have tried everything. We've Absolutely. gone to therapy. We've gone to date nights. We've spiced up our sex life. And it didn't work. And therefore, we're going to part ways in the most respectful way. We did try it. It's not working out yeah. for us. And I think rather than doing it in anger and you know scorched earth, that's a really good way. But I have been seeing a lot of articles lately that are like, we tried it. And and some of these, one of the authors said, and I resent everybody telling me all the things that I could have done as right. though perhaps we just hadn't it. worked hard enough at this. Right. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was in this past Sunday, Sunday style section in the New York Times, there is a column called It's No Secret by Alix. And I love the name Alix because yes. my stepdaughter's name, A-L-I-X Strauss. Two hot-tempered divorce lawyers stay married. This is an article about Dana Stutman and Michael Stutman, and they are matrimonial attorneys in New York. And they've now been married 16 years, five months and counting. Amazing. And they talk about how they met and some of the things that keep it fresh for them. I can tell you, being a family law attorney, it in some ways is difficult because you are surrounded all day with breakups and animosity imagine. and negotiation. But at the same time, it really does make you appreciate your significant other. Hopefully, you're not arguing with them too much. And you come home to kind of where all the good is in yes. the relationship. I like what uh, Dana says uh, at toward the end of the Why article. Why do you think it's Dana and not Dana? Why do you think it's Dana and not Dana? I don't know. It's just not very many people are named Dana if their name is D-A-N-A. -A. Even in New York? Well, Dana, Dana... 
let's Epic. call it yeah epoch. epoch what i like about what she says is that she says she learned not to withhold affection or use sex as a weapon at work ladies she, at she, work so you well, she was, no she she learned those things <laughs> at don't work. use sex as a weapon at work that's our advice to today on me all too. <laughs> As I've said, I'm not sure we humans are all meant for monogamy, but whether you want to spend your, the rest of your life with one person or not, finding your own support system to inspire you along the way is vital. And our guest today is a dear friend of mine who's not only one of the people in my support system, she's created an entire network of support that is empowering a generation. She's the New York Times bestselling author whom they call the Cinderella of tech. She has been featured on the Fortune 40 Under 40, Forbes 30 Under 30, and Fast Company's Most Creative in Business list. She's a podcaster herself, a multimedia mogul, and the founder and CEO of Girlboss. Welcome to All's Fair, Sophia What Amoroso. a nice introduction. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> list of lists. I know. It's, it's always, it feels good, huh? Yeah. So you're, you're a California girl, right? Born and raised. And after high school, your parents got divorced and you moved to, sac- to the SAC. Yes? So I was born in San Diego. I lived there till I was seven. And then I think that got really expensive, and my grandparents were up in the Bay Area in Marin County, so we moved to Sacramento. Okay. And they didn't split up until I was like 17. Oh, okay. But I wish they had split up when we moved to Sacramento. Right. Because it was a really unhappy home to be an only child in. Really? So, so and because we talk to people about this all the time, as you know, they stay together for the kids. And I talk to so many adults who are like, don't fucking stay together for me, man. I would have so much rather seen happy parents alone than unhappy parents together. So I you congratulated actually... my mom. I was like 17 and I was like, finally I respect you. Wow, yeah. interesting. Okay, so then tell us a little bit, I know you moved to Portland for a while. Tell us about how you got into what you got into so young. Oh my God, geez, that's really the beginning. So I I moved to Olympia, Washington when I was 18. Why? Because um, it was like where like cool bands and music like had happened. Okay. A lot of like anarchists. Mm-hmm. It was really cheap. Um, at the time, I was a very staunch anti-capitalist. I thought I could live like in between the lines off the waste of capitalism because there's just so much waste and um, was dumpster diving and a petty thief and pretty much like furnished apartments by walking out of Fred Meyer, which is kind of like the Target meets supermarket of the Pacific Northwest and, you know, from shower curtain rings to like area rugs. Like I would just walk out with like- How do you just, I guess- I mean, talk about a five finger discount. Well, if If you're carrying out an area rug, they're probably not asking any questions about it, right? Like nobody would do that. If you're that bold people, it's just like, it's when you're hiding things that people look at you when you're surreptitious, when you- when you when you look like when you just don't care and you right. walk out of Barnes and Noble with a stack of ten books off the front table, like mm. people think you work there. Or they're See, just, and you guys think you don't learn nice. anything from this podcast. Fake it till you make it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're up in Olympia, up in Olympia, stealing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then moved to Seattle for a few months, and then moved to Oakland, and then uh, San Francisco, then Oakland, and lived with a alcoholic named Wade. Hi, Wade. Uh, Wade. <laughs> Uh, and then moved to Portland with him because even Oakland was too expensive. And it was there that I continued doing my, you know, f- funny stuff and was a stripper oh, okay. for a few months, which was actually really fun. Um, nothing weird happened. Portland is like the uh, has more strip clubs per capita than any other city in the U.S. So they it's like knew. working at Starbucks. Yeah. They it's have like, a lot of places where they do baths as well, which is oh, odd. really I yeah. haven't been there. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of I didn't I didn't leave the stage, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but uh, it's kind of like it's yeah, it's like being a barista, and it's very like sex positive, and not that sex was happening for me, at, you know, outside of my relationship. Even then, I don't with know. drunk Wade, yeah, with okay. drunk Wade. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I learned a lot from that experience, and then I left drunk Wade and moved back to San Francisco, and that was and that. Th- I started getting real jobs because okay. um, I got caught stealing in Portland. Uh oh. And I got arrested. And this is where we put pipe in the Jane's Addiction song, by I the way, got, right here. I actually, oh, my court date, and I've never really revealed this, and I, I might, like in my next book, whatever, it's not like breaking news, but the real low point of like 20 years old was, and I was like underage working in like a bar, like a strip club that served alcohol, by the way. Right. Was when I had to go in. 
basically my court date fell on the same date as my appointment at a women's clinic for an abortion. Oh, that is not a good day. And the abortion clinic sent a sad note to the court of why I just couldn't be there that day. <laughs> and I was very, it was very <laughs> lucky. Girl was winning. They, yeah. dis- <laughs> they dismissed it because nice. at least they had some sympathy. Stupid, yeah. petty little crime right. and poor kid. Anyway, uh, moved to San Francisco and I had, you know, I had cut my teeth selling stolen things online. And then eventually after a string of shitty jobs, started selling vintage clothing online, which wasn't stealing, but it felt like it because I was buying stuff for five bucks and put, can put it on eBay for nine ninety nine as a starting price. But eventually my auctions went up to $150 on average. And I guess going back a couple steps, I got the idea when I was killing time for $12 an hour working in the lobby of the Academy of Art University at 79 New Montgomery in San Francisco as a campus safety host. Okay. Checking people's student IDs and sign, having them sign their names in and directing them to admissions on the second floor. And was getting friend requests on MySpace from eBay sellers who were promoting their vintage clothing businesses and was like, I know where to find vintage. It's pretty much all I wear. And holy shit, the prices these girls are getting. Like, I think I can do this. And I bought a used laptop. At the time, I had the Dome MacBook. Yeah. Mac, right. Mac, yeah. Mac Dome. I don't know what you call it. Early iMac. It was kind of, it was just kind of on its last leg, bought a used MacBook and discovered photo booth and took all kinds of, I don't know what they're called, parallelogram, it's, you know, photos of yourself where your right. face is like reversed. Right. And I was just, <laughs> I, was, I did that in my car the second I bought my used, <laughs> used MacBook um, and just took a stab at it. And so were you um, originally doing it all on eBay? Like when did you branch eBay. out and start your own site called Nasty Girl? It was not for another like year and a half okay. that I started Nasty Girl. Uh, that I that I left eBay and went onto my own website, right. which was a really big um, risk. What year was that? I started selling at the end of 2006. I mean, you do you guys realize how far back I that was is? I mean, I now everybody, you were a baby, but you always had a good eye. But to be able to like start, I mean, a lot of people do that now, for, and the real real, and and all the you know, sites, guilt and hot look and all those. But this was before any of that, Sophia. You were totally buying stuff and you just take your own pictures of it, put it up and then they would bid. It was like eBay or would you put a fixed price on? uh, When I was on eBay, it was bids. You know, I bought a Chanel jacket for $8 once at a thrift store. Wow. And sold it for over a thousand. So if you want to talk about cash flow, like it was a positive, it was a cash flow positive business for until basically venture capital came in. Unbelievable. So when did that happen? Like when did you go out and raise? That was in 2012. Okay. And I didn't go out and raise. They were like, we heard about this thing that's exploding because I had gone from 75K my first year on eBay, which is a shitload of money. I didn't pay myself because I didn't want things. I didn't even know what luxury was, right? Uh, I think I eventually had a Blackberry Pearl, which seemed really <laughs> fancy. I drove an 87 Volvo, and I lived in a pool house for $500 a month with a hot plate. And I was pretty satisfied. I ate a lot of Boston Market and drank a lot of Starbucks. Venti, soy, chai, no water, no foam every day. And it upset my stomach every day. <laughs> you just and I kept, kept drinking, drinking it. it. I know. So i get back on it. The fact that this all started so yeah early on for you in your life, but also in the life of this kind of a business is kind of amazing. Thanks. Yeah. So then at what point, at what point did you decide to do the, not decide, they came to you again, TV show, book, I mean, all of this stuff. Nasty Gal is like huge, still is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did it for 10 years, 22 to 32. So I'm like, I'm glad it happened. Yes. But I was also kind of trapped in a business where I couldn't quit and I couldn't be fired. Right. Because I had raised money. Uh, so in 2012, venture capitalists came knocking because, you know, they had watched or somehow heard about a business that did 75, 250K, 1.16 and a half, and then 28 million in revenue profitably. Wow. Bootstrapped. Wow. I owned 100% of the company. And in 2012, uh, Index Ventures came in and said, okay, you're doing 28, 30 million in revenue. We're going to value you at $350 million. Um, and so they put $50 million into the business. Are we business. still in the pool house? Like, th- what's, um, what's happening? At that point, I had moved then. the company to Los Angeles. Okay, so you know, you were we were here. doing $28 million in revenue. I probably had like 30 people, I okay. guess. Okay. Um, and so I sold 20% of the company, fully controlled it for $50 million, injected that 
capital into the business. Took a little bit for myself, which I don't really talk about, but it's why I'm a homeowner. I still need to work. Yeah. I have a mortgage, but not, I have a lot of equity in my home. So that's nice. I blew way too much on furniture. Be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Furniture is so expensive. But uh, that was when, you know, the the mandate was to go as venture capitalists uh, demand from 28 million to 128 million in a year. And we hired 100 people in a year. I had never worked in an office. The only office I've ever worked in today, to date, my name has been on the lease. Well, it's like the business's right. name on the lease. Right. But for a while, it was my name on right. the lease early in the business. I know that feeling, actually. Uh, I didn't know anything about, you know, I knew how to buy stuff and sell it and manage a few people to do tactical things. Right. But leadership and growing people and oh, like nurturing, I just no but one has ever nurtured on the fly. No one ever nurtured my career. I'm still learning it. Right. It's just like it's taken so long, and I still I'm still a liability. <laughs> you're you're doing okay. At what All point right. did you meet our friend Gary Stiffelman? I met Gary Stiffelman in 2012. Okay. So Gary Stiffelman is an entertainment attorney who spent 25 years at Ziffer and Brittenham, which is a well known entertainment firm here in Los Angeles. He spent most of his career in music. But I was introduced to him by this money manager person who was like, oh, we're going to, you know, get in early and be, they were awesome. But uh, they like managed Sheryl Sandberg's money or something. And they were like, you're worth so much on paper. We're going to manage like the cash that you have, which wasn't enough to normally work with people like that. But they were like, when you actually have $250 million, which eventually Forbes said I was worth, we'll manage one. Anyway, I moved to LA and I just needed an attorney to like negotiate some contracts. And for some reason, they introduced me to an entertainment attorney named Gary Stiffelman. That's how we met, by the way, guys. Yes. Yes. And I mean, I'm so glad we met. (laughs) Uh, We could talk about prenups. Actually, I don't know how much I can talk about. You can tell me what the terms of the, of the, of the separation agreement. I don't know what you call it. Anyway. Um, Met him and he was like, you know, instead of like, let me connect me to your architect and we can negotiate their contract, which he did, I guess, which is kind of below his pay grade. Uh, he was like, do you want to do a book? Do you want to do a TV show? This thing you're doing is crazy. Oh, my God. And I was like, TV? No. Gross. Like, what is? what would it be? Reality TV? Like, I don't want. It's tacky. Um, I think non-scripted has gotten a little bit like classier with yeah. Netflix. I hate, yeah. I hate the word classy. Anyway, I was like, I don't know, maybe a book. My story is pretty interesting. And, you know, the press is, has written a lot about it, but I haven't put myself out there and told the whole story of right. which all of the shit that I just told you about. I'm not going to tell that to a reporter and right. have them write their own shitty no, you story. you want to do it yourself. I wanted to control my narrative. And I hadn't seen myself. I, I had bought, you know, eBay for dummies and a whole bunch of business books. And this was a year after uh, Lean In came out, and there were no millennial women in the business book section writing books about their experience or really books at all. Right. And there were pretty dry books. It was like, you know, Susie Orman, who's awesome, I should have her on my podcast sometime, just a different generation right. and primarily men. Right. And primarily people who weren't accidental entrepreneurs who had used the tools that right. had existed. MBA, got MBAs, right. Yeah, totally. Didn't relate. And we're all accidental entrepreneurs in a way, even though like you're extremely accomplished and educated, I'm sure. But I'm completely um, lost in but the like, world of startups. I've had to do my own thing. It's yeah. different. Like so many of us aren't groomed for this. And, you know, technology today has allowed us to start businesses in ways that we weren't. Anyway, so wrote a book about my crazy ass story building this company up until it was worth basically $350 million. And we were are you know close to doing a hundred million dollars in revenue and it just it just exploded um i named it hashtag girl boss thinking that would be viral but there's no way that a hashtag gets as far as girl boss got without it writing on a certain amount of merit uh so, so girl boss yeah. th- at that point was just the name of your book just that a, was just just a book okay just a book and you know i put that out into the world and spent 18 weeks on the new york times bestseller list and to date has sold over half a million copies and and then became a whole bunch of other stuff. I figured out what intellectual property was and I've dragged it real far. It's <laughs> pretty impressive. That's Thanks. extremely impressive. Thanks. So I met your mom before and we know Gary. Like who's your support system? Not just for business. We'll get to some of the personal stuff in a yeah. second. But who, who supports Sophia? Well, Gary officiated my wedding. Yes. Which is really cute. Just he- so that we, a little background. So I wrote Sophia's prenup 
And then a few years later, Sophia no, eight calls. months. Oh, okay, that was gonna. He was like, "See, yeah." Eight months later, Sophia called and said, "Remember <laughs> that prenup? We need to get together <laughs> again." So we also did the divorce, and throughout that, as you can imagine, we got a little bit close because you know that's a close period of time. Usually, I do a prenup, and either I ne- never see the people again, or I see them again so long after that, like I've had a couple kids or something. So this all happened relatively quickly and just to put a pin in the support system question for a second what's that like i mean being a very strong very successful young relatively speaking how old were you when you guys got married like 29 okay. 30 so getting married and then having it not work and really trying to do all the right things having the prenup having the conversations i know you were very supportive of him in his career financially demanded so, therapy yeah that happened and uh, you know, he was very, <clears throat> his mind was made up that this just wasn't right for him after, you know, five years of dating, which was like, I wish you had told me that before I, I spent so much money on a wedding and had published in Martha Stewart weddings, which was like, so not me. Yes, I, it's not you. It was a whole nother, you know, story about how my life became not me because I could do things right. rather than, you know, it's like you have money for the first time. You're like, well, I should be doing these things or I have access or you know, can go on vacations or whatever. And this is what really matters in life. And it kind of ended up not being what really mattered in life, which is a nice perspective to have. Anyway, uh, yeah, eight months later, did my best. I mean, I think I'm probably pretty, I think I'm challenging. And I think I'm increasingly aware of how challenging I am. But I also think everyone's challenging. That's what I was going to say. Everybody's challenging. My boyfriend's challenging. Right. Uh, Oh, so who was there for you? Mom was who there. Who was there for me? My mom was there, but I was Your really. Your divorce lawyer was there for you. Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a great prenup. Um, I'm glad he left when he did because it would have gotten a lot more expensive for me over time. Yes, how it was structured. Um, and my mom was there, uh, but she was like, "Get angry," right? And I was like, "Get out of here!" <laughs> like I'm super sad. Like right. she was like, "Get angry." I'm like, "You can't tell me." So she came down for a few days and we had like a blowout and she like drove home early. She like backed into the neighbor's Tesla across Uh-oh. the street and then like went home. Drove home. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, that must have su- felt super shitty. Okay. So now she- mom's not even there. Mom so- was there, but mom like wasn't, just wasn't giving the right advice and right. that's okay. Um, I think it's always a struggle for moms. Yes. And, um, and so after that, I went to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Um, I was like, I got to check out of this house. His like wine glasses out. This is like a crime scene. Like we live here. Right. And went to the Beverly Hills hotel with my three poodles, checked in, cried and screamed into a pillow for a week. And my best friend who was in grad school at the time, this is in the summer was off school. And so she came and lived with me at the Beverly Hills hotel for a full week. And I was, I lost my appetite. I lost weight. I was chain smoking in the courtyard on a bench wearing a bathrobe mm-hmm. with three poodles with like really long hair extensions coming out of a baseball cap. Uh-huh. If you can imagine this yes. just like <laughs> Hollywood caricature of like woman unhinged. Right. It was that. Mm. Um, and I wasn't completely certain that it was like really over. I still had hopes and, you know, was trying to like not text too much and, you know, I don't know, be like a gentle woman or something. And um, lived there for a week and then went back home and I wound up in another relationship really fast, which I never expected. And that's this relationship. That's this one. And that's lasted. It's been almost four years. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Very tall. Long Very time. Cute. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So now get back to bigger support system. Who's working with you at the yeah. company? I mean, now the boyfriend's a support system. He's been a huge support. Yeah. And he I, takes good Insta photos too. He does for yeah, me. Yeah. All of his. That's an he, important that's an important characteristic in kinda, a partner, I think. He kinda hates it. He's like, Can you just be present on our trip or whatever? And I'm You're like, like, as soon as I post this. This is part of my <laughs> job. Like if I only post branded content, people are gonna think I'm a scam, so I have to post evergreen stuff. Right. It's like just me. Right. And in the between, Bhutan ones are really good. Thanks. Bhutan was amazing. But um I have I built an incredible network, mostly drinking over the decade that I was building. Nasty Gal had incredible access um, to thought leaders, to the women who had been on my podcast, uh, which I launched Girl Boss Radio in 2015. Mm-hmm. So this was a good year and a half after 
I launched my podcast and just had this incredible alumni of women who uh, were there to support me. Um, and even through, you know, nasty gals, I don't know, collapse is the worst word ever. Everybody was there for me. Nobody dropped me, right? I felt like damaged goods. I was like, I'm like 30 and a divorcee. Like that word just kept like ringing in my head, like divorcee. Like who wants to date a divorcee? And um, who wants to marry someone for this, you know, their second marriage, whatever. I was just really hard on myself. And then people were like, start your marriage, start your marriage. Yeah. And I was like, whatever, that's so modern. But uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a tough time, what but there was, was a lot of people. Was that? A lot of people there for me. That was in twenty mid twenty sixteen. Okay, so that was I was on the cover of Forbes in June of twenty sixteen. Okay, and I was uh, allegedly one of America's richest self made women on paper. On paper, With and some good furniture. Yeah, yeah, good furniture, overpriced furniture. I'm just gonna. My house is like a mausoleum. I'll never like replace that furniture because mm. it's so expensive. <laughs> you have to amortize it over just, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then a month after the Forbes co cover, he left. And then maybe five, four months later, uh, Nasty Gal went belly up. So 2016 was a really rough year. Tell us about that, because I think some of our listeners, they might know who you are from Girl Boss and stuff, but they may not have known about the resurgence. So uh, how yeah. did it go belly up? I mean, it was doing so well. You had institutional funding. What the fuck happened? A lot over the course of some years. So I wrote Girl Boss, and I'm writing my next book, which I'm really excited about because I think even crazier shit happened after I wrote after, Girl Boss yeah. six years ago than while it happened, and that was already a crazy story. We raised it a almost like a 10x valuation, which in retails, like we're not Dropbox, right? right? We're not technology. The opportunity to scale a retail business. What is like, you know, there was ASOS at the time, Zappos, right? We did sell multiple brands, but we weren't competing on delivery or price. We were a brand. Right. Was and, there, and there was no Amazon or there was Amazon? Oh, yeah. Amazon okay. was born in like 1920 or okay. something. I don't even know. Um, <laughs> you just didn't know about it, guys. Don't yeah. worry. Um, but it yeah, wasn't right. what it is today. Like no. You couldn't buy fashion on Amazon. You no. could buy a book. Okay, You could buy a book. And now I buy I bought the salt spray in right. my hair. <laughs> um, but it, we raised it a really high valuation. Months after Girl Boss, the book came out. We had our first round of layoffs. We overhired. We overinvested in the business. Uh, you know, we didn't get to over $100 million in revenue as fast as we thought we would. We burned through a lot of the cash. And my valuation was so high that to for my investors to be pleased with someone coming in and investing on top of that, or even for a sale of the company, uh, they wanted a multiple of $350 million, which, you know, it, retail multiples typically, if private equity came in, which was the kind of investor who would come in at the late stage growth stage that we were at after venture, they were paying like one and a half or two times revenue. Right. And that was, we were still way too expensive right. for them. A company that makes like urban clothing for young people offered over $400 million for the business and we turned it down. Oh, God. I owned 80% of the company. Oh my God. So, I mean, and I, I just want to point out, okay, without Gosh. doing too much stroking, Exhausting this this young woman, what <laughs> she's talking amazing. about here. She doesn't have an MBA. Did you go to college? No. She didn't go to college. And she's she was playing with the big boys and girls. She is talking about things from a very realistic standpoint. So what somebody comes to you and says, We gotta go BK. Like how how you knew things were kind of struggling. Yeah, we but had some debt. We had tried, you know, we could have sold the company if we had taken a lower valuation, right. like two hundred million, <clears throat> two hundred it's still amazing, right. right? My investors would have recouped some of their investment, they would have taken, quote unquote, dilution, which means right. like their investment would have been worth less than when they invested. It's better than zero. Right. And um, we tried to sell it and, you know, deal after deal just kind of vanished. And we got to a point where, you know, the responsible thing, which is crazy to say, is to, you know, not keep not paying your vendors right. or pushing Stop out payments. Stop bleeding. Right. Right. Um, and so that's that was a decision that was really challenging to make after months and months and honestly years of, you know, a few years of miserable struggle with the business, um, you know, having difficulty fundraising. 
And, uh, and it was, it was really the right decision. And I, you know, had, there was all this momentum with Girl Boss, which I never anticipated. At a certain point, Girl Boss became louder than Nasty Gal. Nasty Gal was a huge business. And this is late 2016. The book came out in May of 2014. So it was years of momentum that I hadn't really been nurturing outside of a podcast that took me a couple hours a week. I wasn't building Girl Boss as anything while I was, you know, working on saving Nasty Gal. But today, Girl Boss has over 18 million uses of the hashtag on Instagram. Wow. Right? It became, it, you know, part of the zeitgeist right. before the, timing was the current women's yeah. movement. I'm not taking any credit for that, but there was you clearly can take some. I mean, you were part of this. This this happened, especially for young women, especially for young business women. Because and, as you said, nobody was doing this. We didn't know we could. Yeah. And uh, Nasty Gal filed for Chapter 11 the day Trump was elected and Girl Boss's mission was even more clear. Yes. Yes. Okay. So 2000, end of 2016, beginning of 2017, not your best work, not your best time. However, I shouldn't say not your best work because what you did was, and I get now how, because of what Girl Boss was doing, you were able to make your peace with the nasty gal stuff and probably also with the divorce and say, okay, next chapter, what, where do we go next? I mean, it was so painful to put myself back out there after all of the negative PR and just, just so much had happened. Uh, and I was just so shell shocked, but I was like, girl boss is an amazing opportunity. Girl boss is really special. People want girl boss. It wasn't really a choice. I couldn't like right. take a year in between Girl Boss and Nasty Gal. Right. It was just to it, keep it, it needed to happen. Uh, so I I kept moving, and this is, you know, Nasty Gal happened early twenty uh, late twenty sixteen. By March of twenty seventeen, I had thrown the first Girl Boss rally, which is yes. our conference we're about to put on our sixth. Uh, to 500 women, sold out event in downtown LA, had 50 speakers. I don't know how I pulled that off. Um, had sponsors like Amex and Squarespace, and it was marginally profitable. And a month later, a Netflix series came out about my life called Girl Boss, depicting a woman named Sophia building a company called Nasty Gal. And which, how, did, did, how did you like that? I liked it. I mean, it was canceled after one season, which to me, I mean, it was an awesome thing to have happen, but just... Having the story of who you were 10 years prior Weird. told while, while you're trying to start over is such a mind fuck. I'm sure. Can I say that? Yes, you can say that. It was really cool. I kind of am into legacy and maybe it's just my ego or something, but I've like left a trail of things that will yeah. exist longer than I do. And Netflix is one of them. It put the girl boss name into 150 million homes in 195 countries. So as marketing. Right. Huge. That alone. I'm really proud of it. Um, I liked the show. I think it was Who really- Who played you? Uh, Britt Robertson. Okay. And did you meet with her? Did you talk to her? I did. Yeah, okay. absolutely. She like- She got know, it? Shadowed me. And I think she did a really good job. Charlize Theron produced it. Kay Cannon, who did Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect 2, mm-hmm. was the showrunner and writer on the show. So we had really a primo team. Uh, RuPaul was a character- Norm Macdonald. Oh, I love Norm Macdonald. Was on the okay. show. He was my boss <laughs> okay. in the lobby. Uh, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a great run. It was bad timing because it was a show called Girl Boss four months after Trump was elected. And we were held to a standard of like, this has to be a show that's an example of women in the workplace. And it was just like an angsty, like white girl right. in San Francisco starting right. an eBay store. Right. Um, so I think Girl Boss was, you know, had a certain amount of responsibility uh, to depict women or a woman in a certain way that maybe we wouldn't have a year prior. Right. And it was four months after Vanity's Fair had said, you know, the, uh, oh, no, no. It, you know, it was um, it was four months after all of the press and Wall Street Journal covering you right. know, the downfall of Nasty Gal. So it was just like, it was just bad timing. Right. Right. Well, again, it's still super cool. And it, what you said about legacy and even ego, like that's fucking cool. I mean, it really is. Let's talk about Girl Brass Rally a little bit. I did it in 2018, Johnny, 18, yeah. and I loved it. I loved the Thank energy. You. I loved the young women. I loved being able to talk to people about it. Um, this year's theme is find your support system, which mm-hmm. is why I'm talking about that, but it's also kind of our theme at All's Fair and it's over easy. Um, why did you pick that this year? Yeah, so it's what we've seen in our community is, yes, we're here to learn and exchange ideas and educate one another and provide the resources both within the community and from Girl Boss uh, to level up. 
in our work, uh, but also personally. And without relationships, we can't do either of those things. Uh, and so we built a social network um, less than a year ago. That's at girlboss.com now. And what we've seen is women connecting over not just what they do, but who they are. Nice. Um, and that's where Girlboss really lives at the intersection of. Uh, so find your support system is, yes, you're coming to to learn a lot and hopefully take what you learn at the Girl Boss Rally into your life immediately, right? Inspiration is table stakes, but relationships as, you know, women who have gotten as far as we have in our careers have learned, which maybe we didn't know early in our careers, are everything. Yeah, totally. Everything. I'm yeah. still in touch with Tracy Gray, who I met at the Girl Boss Rally. Amazing. She's done the podcast. Like, she's so wise. I so enjoy her. I think it was her was her birthday. I don't know if it was her 50th or 55th birthday when we were there, but she's just amazing. Like, but it is true. Relationships, hanging on to them, particularly with women. Now, can men attend? Men can attend. Okay. Yeah. So it's We've, not, okay. We had one man speak at the first rally and it was the founder of Instagram, which was pretty cool. So yeah. seven, Kevin Sistrom, very nice of him. We have some really big names that we're announcing. Do you, um, are you not announcing weeks. them yet? Okay, I'm, not, we'll okay. I'm not. I mean, okay. it's like you can't like scoop their no, no, no. PR of course. team no. contracts. I tried. I okay. did try. <laughs> so you guys know, it's April 25th. It's at Quixote Studios here in Los Angeles. You do one in New York as well, yes? Yeah, we'll do one in New York later this year. And okay. then we're planning, actually, we haven't announced, and I don't know if it's like a big deal for me to announce this, but we'll do a third rally for the first time this year. Oh, cool. We normally do two a year. And where will that be? I don't know. Oh. Another city. Okay. A different city. <laughs> um, and, and back to relationships, right? Both with, I mean, men hold the keys to so much. Yeah. Uh, there's someone in, in conferences can feel like so awkward and cheesy. And, you know, the Girl Boss Rally gives opportunity for women who may not be invited to Fortune's most, most Powerful Women to attend conferences. But the, you know, the few I am very selective about attending or have been over the course of my career have built some incredible relationships. Mm -hmm. I found investors. I found confidants. I have found, you know, other entrepreneurs that I've collaborated with and who have given me incredible advice and I met someone no named Joe Marchese, and I don't know if I'm fast forwarding here, but that relationship you know, has happened over the last five years. Uh, he built a company called Truex, which was an ad tech platform, sold it to Fox. Disney acquired Fox. While he was at Fox, he was the head of advertising. So he did billions. He sold into the Super Bowl. Wow. So he was responsible for driving billions of dollars of revenue for Fox Networks, not Fox News. Uh, which is now <laughs> called 20th Century or mm. something like that. They changed the name. 21st? No, well, that's a say, retailer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, at the end of last year, Girlboss was acquired by a holding company that he's now started and raised money into. And they're acquiring businesses. They acquired a good chunk of the Tribeca Film Festival. And without that relationship and his support, uh, over the last five years, I doubt that would have happened. Right. Right. And, and it, it was, was just, just from building it. Building one relationship. Yeah. So don't discount things, folks. I know we can't talk about who will be at the conference, but what's new this year? You've got some stuff on your site about journeys, the explorer, the leader, the founder, the VIP. So we have four different tracks uh, for the Girl Boss Rally this year. And while we do have main stage content with some really big names, what women really get out of the conference, you know, it's not... Uh, it's not the same. The same content for everybody isn't really relevant, right. right? If someone is working their way up the corporate ladder, it's a very different kind of content that they'll benefit from than a startup someone owner. who's just starting their business or has a side hustle or actually right. has started their business as a, has five, you know five employees, right? And needs to level up. So we heard from women, you know, okay, great, you guys are doing content about starting businesses, but like I'm kind of beyond that. Um, and so we really built it around the archetypes of the women who are attending the rally. So the journeys are the explorer, the leader, the founder, and the VIP. Okay. Uh, and so when you register for the Girl Boss Rally, you register for one of those tracks. And the speakers and workshops that we have are really tailored, tailored to where you are in your journey. Nice. I like that. As we say, all's fair in love and war. And with that in mind... Finding like-minded people to share your journey with is something I highly recommend. Lovers, mentors, friends, therapists, people who inspire us. Our personal network is what makes life interesting and sustainable. And finding a support system that fits your life and your goals is vital to your success, particularly after a breakup. 
And for more life after divorce tips, when you're back at your computer, check out our masterclass at nextchapterseries.com. This is All's Fair on iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Laura Wasser, and we're speaking about all of this today with Girlboss founder and CEO, Sophia Amoruso. So Sophia, we are discussing the Girlboss mission, how it aligns with the evolution of dissolution, which is what we do at It's Over Easy, and redefining the way people think about things, whether those things be divorce, business, etc. Tell us what the Girlboss mission is. Um, so the Girlboss mission is really, he was born out of what it is that our community has asked for. Girl Boss wouldn't exist if I just made up an idea and was like, hey, let's build a community. It's a need. And so Girl Boss exists to redefine success. So explore what that concept means across our personal lives, our professional lives, work, wellness, who we are Monday through Friday, who we are on weekends, because we live at the intersection of that today. Um, broadly, it's millennial women, but we have women who are 60 years old attending the Girl Boss rally and women who are 16 years old flying out for the Girl Boss Rally, and women from 31 countries and 40 states. Whoa. Yeah. Um, it's pretty wild. It's pretty global. And we're, we really want to provide tools and connections and utility, not just inspiration and connections, but like we want to give you concrete tools, advice to level up your personal finances, your business finances, to teach you how to build a profit and loss, uh, to get a job, ask for a raise, all of those things um, we're talking about. Uh, and those are all things that women are traditionally really underserved uh, and with. So when I Google, uh, I don't know, something about investing, I end up on investopedia.com, right? right? It's just like agnostic advice for just everybody. And when you tailor that for women, it gives them, you know, we have we have a different experience and we're up against different things. And that's what Girl Boss is all about. I love where it says, Johnny did a breakdown of the girl boss values from your website, and they are humor, resourcefulness, vulnerability, curiosity, and inclusivity. The, the last two are my favorite. I love curiosity. The website says, we are eternal learners. Ask dumb questions, but never treat others' ideas or questions as dumb, and we are comfortable throwing things at the wall. That's amazing. And then pair that with, I mean, I like the other three too, don't get me wrong, but inclusivity, because I love, like you just said, the diversity, the value of the diversity, the age, the ethnicity, gender, religion, ability, experience, class, size, and all those other things, you drive that through the organization. And I think that's huge. I think that's amazing. And you include men too, if need be. They have things to offer. That's important. But really making women, young women, millennials, feeling like they've got something to offer and something to take. That's really, I, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So vulnerability, well, no. So in terms of inclusivity mm -hmm. and curiosity, right, I'm a community college dropout from Sacramento. Um, there, ha there wasn't a lot out there for me to learn how to start a business um, and making sure that we include women at every stage of her life, women at every income level, uh, and make sure that we are serving her is really important to Girl Boss. Um, and the only way to do that and the only way any of us learn, you know, we can deliver advice or content or resources, but it's only through curiosity that you're going to learn. Yeah. Um, and there's curiosity, but there's also putting yourself out there and saying like, hey, what does a KPI mean? Key performance indicator, I think. Oh, you're, um, I was going to say, what does what's it mean, an okay <laughs> What's an OKR? Oh, it's objective and key results, right? Like we sit in a room, there's an intern in the room. And on their behalf, I make sure that our team defines what those things are when we say them out loud, assuming everybody knows them. Right. And the only way I've achieved what I have is to raise my hand, which a lot of people think is embarrassing, and say, like, what does that mean? Right. Um, that's a really scary thing for a lot of people, but it disarms other people, for one, when you're not pretending. Humor also does, which is right. one of our values. When you're not pretending, right? When you don't come in and you're authentic. Act, act like whatever you think you're supposed to act like in a meeting. Obviously, there's a certain amount of decorum that you want to have in a meeting, uh, but when you ask people's advice, right, and that's that's vulnerability and curiosity. When when I go direct to someone to ask their advice, what it says to them isn't like, oh, you're a burden. It's I'm an expert. Right. You think I'm an expert? Well, thank you. I'm so flattered. Right. Like it's actually a gift sometimes to ask people advice. And, and, and nobody then really thinks of that. Being the person that's giving the advice also, you have to really be not only vulnerable, but compassionate about giving it. Like the fact that you will sit in meetings and will define what some of those anagrams are, that's huge because I know so many people who are really 
riding high on that wave of being the expert. Somebody asks you, they kind of say, you're my person. I'm asking you this advice. Don't be a dick. Give them the information and more and keep an eye open for them at the next meeting to be like, and by the way, there's this. I think a lot of times we as women are not great about taking other women under our wing, propping them up, et cetera. If not us, who's going to do it? Right. Um, and, you know, when we, I agree. And when I define an acronym in a meeting, for example, you know, I'm speaking to the girl who I was uh, when I didn't know those things. And to have that kind of empathy for your community or your team or your user, whatever you want to call it, is extremely important because you're speaking into the listening. And right. the only way you build a business is to speak into the listening if, or sell into the listening. If people don't want, you know, dumpy moo-moos, don't sell them dumping moo-moos. Um, if people, if you know they're curious about something, even if they are not asking that question, providing those answers for them and being able to anticipate what it is that someone may not know, I think builds a great culture. Totally. Absolutely. Um, I want to quote you from the LA Times interview that you did after Nasty Gal. Um, no feeling is final. I yep. love that. And we use that and I want people to listen to it because we are so about next chapters here at All's Fair. No feeling is final. I mean, I guess your last breath might be a final feeling, but then you're dead. No feeling is final. I mean, and until you are dead, you need to have feeling those feelings and you need to yeah. keep cultivating them and changing them and evolving them. We're always going to get past whatever it is we're experiencing right now. And I tell people to just look back, put themselves a year in the future and look back and know they're going to laugh yeah. at whatever it is they're experiencing. Because uh, we do, and we all do, and I can this laugh. This too shall pass. I, I can laugh at bankruptcy. Time. I can laugh at divorce. I have perspective with those things. I'm still damaged, uh, but th that feeling has changed, right? And if it I've doesn't evolved. kill you, it makes you stronger, and right? And it's a Rainer Maria Rilke quote. Just oh, <laughs> so for the record, I did not make it up. <laughs> You're brilliant. No, 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 I like that you used it. That's what I'm talking about. And speaking yeah. about next chapters and second acts are some of my favorite conversations. But at the end of the day, I'm still a lawyer, which makes me very good at interrogation. Sophia, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I don't know how to do anything else. Oh, that's my girl. It's such a hassle to lie. Yes, you gotta remember what you're like work. At. I know. Ugh. Which relationship in your life has had the most profound impact? It's a really good question. I don't give people enough credit. <laughs> <laughs> like I take... Well, you have an opportunity right now. I know. That's like a dangerous kind of like. Okay, how about what, is there a relationship in your life that has had a profound impact? Then you don't have to pick just one. You can give a shout out to somebody. I think I've always dated people who are really supportive to the point of me, you know, potentially squashing them with my, <laughs> how loud my life is or how demanding my life is. But um, I think that's just an incredibly important thing in a relationship and supporting the other person in their growth, like understanding their challenges, calling them out on their challenges is is a gift to them. Mm -hmm. um, making holding one another accountable um, and expecting the other person to hold you accountable, hopefully not to the point of parenting, right. which does happen. Which you get you could slide into it. Yeah. yeah um, but I'd say my romantic relationships, really, that's where I found the most support regularly, right? That's where you go home and you talk about your day. And and honestly, probably second to that is therapy because mm -hmm. that's where you should go dump. Yeah. You shouldn't dump in your relationship. You no. should make sure there's room in your week to go unload your damage on someone um, so you don't do it to your partner and just like fuck it all up. Totally agree. Totally agree. What's your favorite love song? I don't think I like love songs. I think I like sad songs because they're funny. They're just kind of funny, like heavy metal, like men sad yeah. and stuff. Sad men is really It's kind of funny. <laughs> What's the one piece of advice you'd share with your 20-something-year-old self or somebody who's in her 20s that's following your footsteps? You know, I think we all want to, and I've heard this from even my assistant, she's like, the pressure to be on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. And that's like the benchmark now for people in their 20s, which is crazy. And mm. people watch, you know, people like me 
and these other entrepreneurs achieve things super young. Like we're real outliers and it kind of sucks. So be careful what you wish for. Mm -hmm. And I'd say it's not a race. It's a marathon. Yeah. It's a marathon. Yeah. yeah. So you got to have the long. Our guest last week kept saying life is long. Like life is long. You have time. Yeah. Uh, and you should you should give yourself that time. Um, because if you rush through things, you're going to miss a whole lot along the way. I like that. Okay, so if you hate love songs, do you also hate rom-com movies? Um, I kind of do. Um, I think <laughs> I like mean, uh, what, no, what's it called? Bachelorette? Or what's that one? Is it, is the, the one movie? with like Kristen Wiig. And oh, yes. Um, B- Bachelorette Party? Is or? that no. what it is? Yeah. No, no, that's not what it was it's, called. Uh, Bridesmaids. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh, Fantastic. I'd say I agree. Br- yeah, Bridesmaids yeah. is That's my... the first time anybody's ever said that on the show and mad props to you because that was a great movie yeah. and it was a great romantic comedy. <laughs> just really love. more about two women and their relationship and their friendship more than the boyfriends or the fiancés or whatever. We can phase out relationships. It yeah. sucks. Yeah. Really sucks. Sophia, thank you so much for joining us today on All's Fair. How can people keep up with you, the Girl Boss Movement, and register for the rally on April 25th in L.A.? So you can register for the Girl Boss Rally at girlbossrally.com. Okay. Uh, registration is open now. Uh, you can follow the Girl Boss Rally and all of our announcements uh, of speakers at Girl Boss Rally and at Girl Boss. I post about it, and I'll be there. And you can follow me at the Girl Boss Rally if you can't attend there in person at Sophia Amoruso. It's A-M-O-R-U-S-O. And just by the way, guys, I've gone, I've spoken, I've been an attendee. I can't go this year because I'm going to be in New Orleans speaking at something not as fun and interesting. However, it's a great event. Like there is such a yummy feeling there. And it's just, you know how I would describe it as sunny. Like it just felt sunny. It was sunny that day that I was there. But it was just, everybody was smiling. It was kind of like being at a really good resort. Like everybody walked by smiling. Everybody is interested in hearing. And again, this is after I'd taken my mic off and I was just walking around being an attendee. It was awesome. Meeting other people is mandatory. Yes. Thank you. And Girl Boss is also offering need-based scholarships to the rally to a select few in the Girl Boss community this year. How can people find out more about those, Sophia? Uh, at girlbossrally.com slash scholarship. Okay, so for details on qualifications and stuff like that, apply there, look there. Sophia, you rock. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Johnny, thanks for setting blast. it up. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you. You too. If you just found us, welcome. Stay tuned by tapping subscribe and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. And for more about life after divorce, visit nextchapterseries.com. We'll be back next Tuesday on all your favorite podcast apps. So until then, all's fair in love and war. I'm Laura Wasser. 